Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. For the purposes of this particular podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool, if you must. I insist that you do. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this is the show where you write in and Whitney and I respond to your emails. We answer your questions. We recommend movies. We uh, talk about what's going on in the industry right now. If there's anything else you want to talk about, we're happy to do that, too. Um, and here's how you do that. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a P.O. box. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Uh, you can mail us an actual physical letter. Send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And uh, I would actually like to begin this week with some stuff from the P.O. Box. Yay! Uh, Thank and you for sending us physical mail. We love that. It's really fun. You don't have to do it, but it's really, really fun to get mail that isn't a bill. And so, <laughs> um, and one of the things, I was just having a conversation with my mom about this. When my mom was growing up, she was telling me about how Christmas cards were so much bigger than they are now. Like, we think they're a pretty big industry now, but like, mm. it used to be like, you oh. would get like stacks of Christmas cards every day, oh, and you would decorate yeah. your house with them, and uh, it was a it big was, deal. It was a really common thing. You, yeah. You would, uh, you would go to the card store, Hallmark store, or, or just the drugstore, and get yeah, a big stack. And mail one to every friend. Yeah, uh, and that was that was what you did. That's how you acknowledged them. I, we have well, we had Pokemon. Now. We yeah. had we had Christmas cards. That was what we did. <laughs> Piece of the season. I choose you. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, dove flings like a fucking lily <laughs> like oh, across yeah. the flat across the battlefield. Coo coo. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we would, we would send Christmas cards. We'd receive a lot of Christmas cards. We'd get a lot of Christmas letters. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of my older relatives still do that. Um, younger relatives don't do that. It's not, I don't think it's a practice for younger people now. Uh, and also something that has fallen by the wayside is thank you notes. Did you have yeah. to send thank you notes when you oh, were a kid? I, I still try to remember to. I mean, nowadays I, I probably do it more online than anything else. Well, but you, you can just call or text. That's pretty yeah. easy now. But, but yeah, no, I I had to write a thank you note for every single gift I received that wasn't from my parents, mm -hmm. like or, or like my brother, I guess. But like you know, anyone who wasn't in the household, uh -huh. if they did anything for us, whether it was a proper gift. Or just a Christmas card, or uh, uh, you know, oh here's a here's a bag of muesli. I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever we're doing for Christmas treats. I, I was trying to think of an underwhelming Christmas treat. A bag of muesli. <laughs> what is this? We had to write a lot of thank you cards, and we want to thank. We've had a couple of people send us some Christmas cards, mm. and I want to say thank you, and I want to read them uh, out loud. The first one. Uh, is a Christmas postcard. It's actually, uh, it's the Christmas card isn't terribly Christmasy themed, but it's super cool. Uh, it's um, like a card with an image of a of an issue of Strange Tales it's featuring Doctor Strange. It's a Strange Tales gold, one golden era like sixties comic yeah. book. Okay, oh, yeah. it's um, in this issue, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. Uh, it says the end at last, and there's a. A silhouette of this like spacey looking being in the background. Yeah, and uh, real fun. It, and that's and it's, uh, it's a silhouette of Doctor Strange, basically. Um, or that's, no, that's, no, not, no, that's no. eternity. No, you're right. That is that's, eternity. Uh, that's the character of eternity. I, I got thrown off a little bit because Doctor Strange used to have this super high collar in the comics, and he does it in the movies. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that's really really cool, and that's totally my jam. And uh, this is a short one because it's a postcard. Uh, but it says, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, uh, happy holidays from a longtime fan. Hope this finds you and your loved ones well. Sincerely, Bonesteel. And I would just like to say to Bonesteel, 
Same. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. I hope you're doing great. Mm-hmm. Thank you for thinking of us and putting in the effort. That's really, really nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is just really, really cool, and we really appreciate it. Um, and we have one more. Okay. Uh, and this is this is, a, this is a card, and you can see it's got... Um, it's got Santa and a couple of reindeer on that sucker. It's oh, very, very oh nice. it looks like a, like a stamp, like one of those yeah. potato stamps it, you used to make in school. I was gonna say it looks kind of like um, like uh, when you would like decorate like um, a gingerbread cookie with icing. Oh, there you go. You know, yeah. it's really pretty. Okay, and uh, here is uh, here it is, uh, Bibbs and Whitney. I hope the holidays treat you both well. Thank you for all you do. You bring a lot of joy to a lot of people especially in these strange and difficult days. I wish you both a very Merry Christmas and hope that the new year brings you many good things. Much love from Ray and Cheerio. And there's a paw print because Aww. Cheerio is a cat. And Aww, we got a little, a little Polaroid of Cheerio. <laughs> and Cheerio looks like a delight. Oh, Cheerio's a little orange stripey kitty. Yeah, Cheerio rules. Merry Christmas from Cheerio. Uh, and there's a little, even a little paw print on. Yeah, that. that's how you know. That's how you know it's from Cheerio. Yeah. Uh, Did, that is really, really kind of you. Thank you so much, and thank you so much from Cheerio as well, because Cheerio is great. I'm going to show this to Luca, uh-huh. so that Luca knows. You know, we have fans all over, all over the world. But anyway, <laughs> it's, that's just really, really nice. And thank you, Ray and Cheerio. We hope you have a happy Christmas as well, mm-hmm. um, and everyone else. Whatever you celebrate. Whether you're celebrating anything at all, hopefully you at least have some time off at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to just take a moment and say thank you, and you're in all of our hearts. Um, we try to go out of our way to thank our patrons every single week because our patrons are keeping the show afloat, and we're incredibly grateful for that. But the the fact is, we also uh, uh, love every single one of you, even if you can't contribute, and that's... You're you're just really important yeah. to us, and we 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 do this for you because you seem to enjoy it, and it just means the world to us that you spend so much of your time yeah, listening to our chit chats. Tune in to listen to us flapping our gums all day. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you don't got to do that, and you do, and that's that's very <laughs> sweet of you. Yeah, have you been getting a lot of Christmas cards this year? Uh, a couple, most mostly from family. Uh, yeah. I have a one friend, uh, actually a mutual friend of ours, and I, I don't want to. Uh, call them out by name just in case, but uh, I got a, a Christmas card over the last couple of years. Haven't received it this year yet. Of uh, like Christmas scenes with like penises hidden <laughs> in them. <laughs> How <laughs> like effectively hidden are we talking about? Well, not so hidden. It's like if if you were to just sort of glance at this card, it's like oh, there's the nativity scene. You look closely, and they're all just like anthropomorphic penises. Um, that is their thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it that's quite a thing. Yeah, yeah. Not gonna lie. Let's move on from the penises. <laughs> let's let's Aw, must we? <laughs> yes, we must. And let's read let's read a, let's read an email. All what right. have you got um, for here's us? Here's a letter from Alex. Hello, Alex. Hey, Alex. Uh, dear William Bibbs Bibiani and Whitney Ruckmeister McCola Seibold. First time listener, first time writer. Oh my goodness. Hello. Wow. Thank you for writing Thank you. in. Uh, I live in London and Ooh. I have started going to the BFI Rubin Library at BFI South Bank. I wanna go there. That sounds cool. In case you didn't know, the Rubin Library holds a vast collection of of uh, books concerning film. As two of you are well-read in the subject, I was wondering if either of you have any recommendations, as well as any of your favorites, as, on books on film. Ah! Uh, hoping to hear from you soon, Alex. That is a great question. Uh, I remember um, when I, I... I went to UCLA, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Went to the UCLA School of Film, Television, and Digital Media, and we had a great... Like, we still do. But we have a great library at UCLA. And... I used to, I would go to class and then I would just go to the library 
and I would just sift through these like vast tomes, many of them out of print, mm-hmm. books of like a, a long form interviews with famous filmmakers, uh, boxes full of like every issue of Premiere magazine and Variety dating back decades. <laughs> nice. and oh wow, it was super great. So oh. I love a good film library. It's it's there's usually like I wonder how it is. I don't I don't travel a lot. And mm-hmm. I haven't been to like a lot of bookstores all over the world. And when I do go to a bookstore somewhere else in the world, I tend to go to major cities. In LA, if you go to a bookstore, we only have a few left, sadly. But whenever you go to a bookstore, they're, they're around. They're around, but we used to have a lot, and now there's like a few oh, you know spread what? out. Uh, you can list them by name because a lot of these local bookstores have websites where you can mm. order uh, and send gifts anywhere. Oh, that's a good point, actually. So, uh, uh, so it, I'll, I'll recommend. Uh, um, Sideshow Books. I was just about to do Sideshow Books. Yeah, Sideshow Books is a, is an institution. It used to be really close to us, and then it moved away. Mm. Uh, but uh, that's a great... What a cozy bookstore that is. That's a bookstore where, like... Things are, like, stacked up, like, and it's all, like, old, interesting Like, Meg Ryan things. would fall in love with Tom Hanks there. Like, that's how great, oh. like, a setting it is. Just a wonderfully... And you can smell all the paper oh, and stuff. I, I was gonna say that, like, that's where Camus first discovered he was hopeless. <laughs> like, it's... Like, there, there's a lot of, like, raw intellect, but... Uh, that's, that's, that, 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 that speaks volumes about how you and I look at the world differently, I think. Um... <laughs> Or, or uh, there's also they have a really healthy collection of like vintage uh, pulp and detective yeah. novels. Oh yeah, there great as bookstore. Well. Um, it's a small bookstore and it's a bit more like swank, but it's really really nice. Uh, it's a diesel a bookstore. You're in the okay. diesel bookstore, and I think Brentwood. I've I've been there. It's been a while. Yeah, it's just it's just really classy and nice, and it's in this really cool little shopping center with a lot of really great eateries and everything like that. Um, but uh, in any case, in L.A. The film and television section of a bookstore is usually pretty well stocked. Mm. Like, it's not extensive. Like, it's not the same as a good library, but it's bigger than one might think. And I can't help but imagine that, like, in other places in the world, it wouldn't be quite so huge. Um, But, yeah, this is a question I get sometimes is uh, what what sort of books on film do you recommend? Whitney, can you tell me about, like, some of the books that you... Uh, well, value or that you'd recommend to people. One uh, just recently here, uh, we talked about it uh, mm. when when he passed. But the James Rocky mm. uh, was a teacher, and uh, as it turns out, the library at at the school where he taught didn't yeah. have a lot of books. So uh, a- Amy Nicholson, I think, headed up the effort, or maybe she was just the it's one who going. alerted me to it. It's still going. Yeah, I actually, I'm actually have a pile of books right here. Oh, that you're going to be okay. donating to that library. Yeah, yeah. I uh, and I just I just uh, like mail ordered some from uh, yeah. bookstore.com. I, I, I just, I just have a pretty extensive library, and some of them I've read a long time ago, and I don't need anymore. And they're like yeah. textbooks, and I thought they'd be good for like yeah, a, like uh, uh, the, the rudimentary stuff. The, I got like film encyclopedia. It's a good just overview. Of, is it David, uh, David Boardwell uh, writes yeah. as an author numerous invaluable uh, yeah. Film I, I was just having a conversation with someone the other day, and they were asking about like you know what's a good like overview of just mm. just cinematic language. Like how do I know about lenses, and how do I know like terminology about editing? Oh, that's and all that that, that's David Boardwell. Yeah, yeah. Board, David Board, Boardwell and Thompson. Mm. Um, they did they do two books: film art, which is all about just the nuts and bolts of it, mm. and it's as comprehensive as you could possibly want. It's a little dry because it's a textbook, but it's great. It's also expensive because it's a textbook. But the good news is you can get one from like. 10 years ago uh-huh. it'll be a lot cheaper and because you're not taking a class and it doesn't matter if you're on the same page it's the same basic information i wouldn't worry about it it's uh, yeah, totally yeah. worth checking out they also <clears throat> excuse me they also have a, a book called film history which is a general overview of film history mm. uh which is again pretty thick and i do recommend it yeah um 
because this uh, this was a, a oh, drive. Hang, hang, hang on, hang on. Thank you. Samuel oh. French's bookstore is another great one. We didn't. We totally left out. Unfortunately, I think Kobe might have closed it, but that's no. The theater, that's the theater and film. Yeah. Yeah. I will look. I will see if that. I will see if that's still available. Like, but I thank. I, that is such an oversight. Thank you for doing yeah, it. Samuel uh, French imprints are like if you can find any of those. Mm. Like, right. I have no idea if anyone can hear this, but our celebrated author M. Lapis da Silva. Uh, just pokes their head in. Uh, mm-hmm. They're the author of uh, the the acclaimed book Hooker, uh, which is a, a retro wave thriller set in the 1980s about a vigilante sex worker uh, who fights a misogynistic serial killer and she uses hooks as weapons. Uh, it is really, really great. The reviews are awesome. It's still available at various bookstores, <laughs> which you may want to are enjoy. They... And it's 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 really really cool. But anyway, yeah, Samuel French Samuel, is a big one. The Samuel French bookstore, I think, used to be up on Sunset. And um, um, I'm looking. Oh yeah, it closed. It closed. It while, closed. Yeah. I think I think COVID killed um, it. Yeah, and, you know, damn it. Small World Books is one I'm also yeah. fond of. That's in Venice. But uh, there used to be this the... great one in um, in um, oh, not Century City. Uh, uh, where's the Where's that one? <laughs> you know where the IKEA is? In Burbank. <laughs> The other century city. Shut up. Burbank, Everyone other, shut up. The other century city. Everyone shut up. Everyone's being mean to me. Bur- Burbank's like the, the, seat, the seat of like show business. And Century City is a mall. It's pronounced Burbank, by the way. Um, no, there's there used to be this incredible bookstore in Burbank. Uh, and it was just this... It was just this kind of hole in the wall, and like it also really dusty. It was actually the setting of a movie called I, Madman. Okay. Uh, which is a really, really great horror thriller, and it's a very L.A. film. Like, the protagonist has, like, a New Beverly film calendar, like, tacked up on the wall in her apartment. <laughs> like, that's how L.A. it is. It's super great. Uh, and this is back in the 80s. So, anyway, I digress. What were you saying? I, I interrupted you a long ass time well, ago. The, <laughs> what, what was my point? Uh, I don't no, the, 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 the book drive for James Rocky was meant for high school, so I recommended mm. uh, books that a high school student might like. Yeah. But these are also still good for uh, adults. Uh, mm. One that I like to recommend is uh, Tom Lennon and Ben Garant's incredibly practical advice book, Writing Movies for Fun and Profit. I've talked yeah. about it on this podcast That's before. That's a great one. Uh, which, yeah, it does just take you through step-by-step step what the practicalities are for writing mm. for a big studio and just how completely unromantic it is. Mm. Uh, I re- recommended I Hated, Hated, Hated This Movie. Uh, or no, I re- it was uh, Your Movie Sucks. Uh, there, ah. there are three volumes of nothing but Roger Ebert's negative reviews, like two stars and below. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, one of them was called Your Movie Sucks. He, it nice. includes the exchange he had between... Uh, the conversation he had between himself and Rob Schneider over uh, the second Deuce Bigelow film, which oh, yeah. he considered completely terrible. Rob Schneider, unlike the original, which he loved. Well, he gave that. I think he gave that a negative review as well. But uh, the second one was like even worse, and he gave it a negative review. And I think Rob Schneider got on him for it, so it inspired him to have the title of this film. It's like I, I, I write. Right, reviews. Your movie sucks. <laughs> um, uh, I want to recommend. I, uh, yeah. And how? What you got? Oh, and there's a whole series of little books uh, that are actually really useful called cultographies. Oh yeah, those which are, good. are single essays. They're they're usually only about like seventy five to one hundred pages, but it's an entire uh, in depth dive into a single cult phenomenon film. Mm. Uh, Faster Pussy. I have the one for Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. I bought for James Rocky the one for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, those are all tend to be really really great essays by a variety of knowledgeable authors. 
Um, what were you gonna I, I, I was going to recommend. There's um, we're talking a lot about uh, a lot of like really informative books, and they they should be. But I find that like a lot of books about like film craft and everything tend to be very much about like just sort of teaching. Here's what this is. Here's mm-hmm. what the history is, etc. Um, one of my favorite books about making movies is called Making Movies, and it's written by the late great Sidney Lumet. Uh, who directed stuff like Dog Day Afternoon and Serpico and Network and some of the best movies ever made? Um, and it's a really short book. It's like a, it's a quick read. I don't I don't mean short as in that makes it better. It's just don't be daunted by it. Um, and he writes a book that's actually very uh, it's actually very thoughtful in terms of how to think about making movies. Hmm. And and not in a way that's sort of telling you if you're doing it this way you're wrong. It's just like he has a lot of practical experience. And he's just basically just like, okay, when you're making a movie, here's a conversation you need to have with everyone on your film, and here's something you need to consider when you're making this kind of movie. And mm. there's something about it that's just, um, it's it's the difference between writing theory or writing for uh, posterity and just talking to someone who's been doing this for forever, yeah, and just doesn't have he's he's not gonna he's not gonna gloat about anything. He doesn't want to put himself on a pedestal. He's just like, okay, here's the first conversation you need to have with your crew on day one. Like it's that kind of thing. It's a mm-hmm. really really good practical uh, book. There's another book I like recommending, but I always like recommending it with a caveat because this is one of those books that changed a lot, but it got taken too seriously. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I'm going to talk about Save the Cat. Save the Cat. Save the Cat. It's a screenwriting book. It's a screen... There's a lot of screenwriting books out there, and, you know, when it comes down to, oh, I'm just trying to learn formatting or whatever, just pick and choose. It doesn't really, really Mm. matter. Any practical book. I think the one I read was uh, How to Write a Screenplay in 31 Days, which is, you know, you're probably not going to write a screenplay in 31 days, but it's a good, you know, quickly just teach you the basic tricks of screenwriting yeah. um, in terms of like how to get something out there that looks professional. How, if it's good or not is up to you, but they'll get, they'll tell you, walk you through the practical stuff. Um, Save the Cat is a great book about how to think about storytelling in the aggregate. Um, movies tend to be about, um, you know, when you're in screenplay form, tend to be about 120 pages long. It's not that long compared to a lot of books, but it's still a lot. And there's a lot of moving parts you're trying to keep track of. And Save the Cat's a really good way to look at the film as a whole entity and keep track of all of it and all of the subplots and all the themes and everything. Uh, but too many people use that book as a rule book, and it's not. It's actually a pretty effective book on storytelling philosophy mm-hmm. in terms of it doesn't matter what kind of story you're telling. It doesn't matter if you've ever read this book or not. Your story will almost certainly have these elements because these are the nuts and bolts of any storytelling structure. Uh-huh. And so once you can just wrap your head around every story has this moment and this moment and the way that they happen will be completely different every time. But dramatically, this serves the function of escalating the suspense or yeah. reminding everyone that there are consequences to the narrative or introducing a plot element. And that is very, very useful so long as you're not using it as a bullet point. Okay, I did this, 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 and this. Which now is, I have a good screenplay. That's not how it works. That uh, Well, unfortunately, that it, that was how it worked right. for a long time, and it still is. Uh, people became accustomed to the way certain screenplays operate, and yeah. after a while they started to feel really similar. Yeah. Even if they were, like, disparate genres and different filmmakers, yeah, the screenplays were, like, really samey. It's a problem. I, so, yeah, it became a, a bit of an issue. Yeah, um, a movie made America is another good one as well. Good, uh, good history book as well. Good general and, overview of American movie history. And That's American though. I know you're in England, so. Yeah. Uh, uh, and a good one if you're an aspiring filmmaker, if you actually were 
thinking about making movies. Uh, I haven't read the whole thing, but I have thumbed through a Lloyd Kaufman's book. It's called uh, Make Your Own Damn Movie. Uh, and it's He also did like How to Make Movies, The Toxic Avenger Way. Everything I need to know about filmmaking, I learned from The Toxic Avenger. Learned from Avenger. The Toxic Avenger. Those are both yeah. good books. Because yeah. uh, you know, say what you will about Troma's movies, and we've said a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all fair. It's, it, they, they just make, you know, unabashedly, joyously make nothing but trash. And, yeah. uh, uh Lloyd Kaufman, however, has ha- always had a very uh, practical, feet-on-the-ground kind of view to guerrilla film- filmmaking. Make it fast, yeah. make it cheap, make it safe. Yeah. He, he, he always focused on that, uh, and there's like a big plaque on the wall of Troma Productions where uh, step, like, step one... Uh, make sure everybody's safe. Step two, in much smaller print, make a good movie. Yeah. Uh, d- doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good is not important. It's just, um, no one should die for making our stupid crap. Yeah. Or anyone's stupid crap. Mm. No one should die making any movie. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Lloyd Kaufman uh, has, yeah, has written very, very eloquently and very frankly about how you can just go out and do it. It's actually easier than you think. It's, yeah. it's time-consuming and often very yeah. expensive, but... There's really nothing stopping you from just getting friends together and thinking up yeah. something creative and wild. Yeah, it's, it's it's trauma. So some of the actual book is a little classless and trashy, but mm. the actual like nuts and bolts advice in it is pretty solid for for anyone, especially if you're just getting started. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a good that's a good one as well. All right, yeah. um, let's move on. Hopefully that helps a little bit. Obviously, a lot of those are from our own generation. Mm-hmm. I've been meaning to read more recent. Oh, uh, what's oh uh, backwards and in heels. Oh, there you go. That's, got to uh, go. I wanted to think of some more recent backwards and in heels. Uh, is a great book about the history of women in cinema that mm-hmm. often gets um, th- pushed aside yeah. uh, a lot, and it's a it's a mm-hmm. damn shame. Anyway, moving on. Here's a letter from Jonathan. Hello, Jonathan. Hi. And this is uh, a West Side Story letter. Um, Greeting Biggs and Cool Meister of Rocks. So I'll take that. Uh, I was listening to your reviews of the new West Side Story, in which you guys understandably come understandably compare it uh, primarily to the 1961 film version with only some comparisons to the stage version. As usual, I found your insights delightful and illuminating, but I wanted to share my perspective on how the new West Side Story stacks up against the original stage version. That is exciting, um, and thank you. We Neither of us uh, saw the original stage version, so we can't no, do that. Like, like many, I watched the 1961 <laughs> film in school, but it was uh, since I was not yet the full-blown theater geek I am today, I didn't really hold much attachment to it. I was just... It was just a neat enough thing that I got to watch in class. Fifteen years later, I stage managed a production of West Side Story for one of my city's big local theaters, and now it's a musical I'm both extremely fond of as an art, and I'm also uh, obnoxiously familiar with every facet of the show, such is the nature of being a stage manager. Because of this, while watching the 2021 version, I really didn't remember too much about the 61 version and was instead comparing it to the stage version we mounted that hewed slavishly close to Jerome Robbins' choreography and direction. Okay. Okay. here are the changes that stuck out, stuck out to me as the most impactful. Number one, like you both said, in the show, G-Officer Krupke on the stage comes after the rumble. It's st- strange, silly placement. Yeah, I agree. Uh, number two, Rita Moreno's song Somewhere in the stage version is sung by an unnamed female character during an elaborate dream ballet that recaps the first act leading up to the rumble. So the shift oh. of having this new character of Valentina, who has lived the life Tony and Maria want for each other, it was a really smart choice. I didn't know that about yeah, that original. Uh, That's interesting. Bibbs huh. mentioned that this turns the song into being representative of the Latinx uh, characters, looking for a place free of prejudice. But I think Spielberg is going for something a bit more specific regarding the idea that Valentina married a white man in a happy, loving relationship. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing worth striving for. I believe that was actually your <clears throat> comment initially. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, because I, I slightly would take, but yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, um, number three, America. I'm probably in the minority of this because I believe the '61 version was the first to do these lyrics changes at the request of Rita Moreno. 
and I've just had the stage version be my version for the past seven years, but in the stage version, Anita has a line about Puerto Rico that says, Island of Tropic Diseases. Oh. Uh, and it meant a lot to this Latino that it was removed. Yeah, you know, that's not yeah. cool. That's, that's unhelping anything. Because they, they leave in the line, uh, Puerto Rico, you lovely island, but yeah. then there's like a rebut, Puerto Rico, you ugly island, and they say it's, that's, that's the line. Uh, there's a there's a line to be crossed certainly mm. yeah uh number four oh my gosh they made chino a real character <laughs> in the stage version chino is still a bit of a square like he is here but his only character trait is that he's boring and awkward basically the anti-tony uh he's added the added texture that kushner and spielberg gave to him that he's an accountant type who is on the straight and narrow and not part of the gang really gives him a new dimension so that when he deci- when he decides to get revenge, there's a sense of a tragic fall from grace. Yeah, that's good. That's he's good the stuff. one who, quote, made it out and was being protected from the gang, gang life only to succumb to the cycle of violence as foreshadowing of Maria's famous line, I can't kill now. I can kill now because I hate now. And the irony, of course, is that that makes him more like Tony. Yeah. Because he was, Tony was also trying to get out mm. of all of this and end up getting sucked back in. And yeah, yeah, the, it, it, that's, that's a good parallel. That's yeah. A, yeah, excellent, uh, excellent yeah. observation. Uh, number five, uh, this is my biggest one, but wow, do I love the changes to Cool. <laughs> the stage version places Cool in Doc's drugstore before the War Council, where Riff and Bernardo decide on where, when, and what weapons to use for the rumble. It's a song led by Riff to the Jets, Tony isn't there, telling them to stay calm when the sharks arrive. They then proceed to do a great big dance about their, uh, about and let out all of their energy and aggression so they can keep cool in the next scene. Changing it to Tony, trying to convince Rift to call off the rumble, makes it into a battle between the two of them for the soul of the Jets. A way, uh, a way of peace and acceptance, uh, or a way out of violence and aggression. All of the Jets saying pow is in the original script, and the new layer of them fighting over a gimmick using a gun when they say pow in the Spielberg version is just aces in my edit. In yeah, my it's opinion. good stuff, yeah. Uh, P.S. If I could only suggest a movie to put in your radar to cram mm. through the crazy December rush of films to catch up on. Okay. Uh, Edson Oda's Nine Days is one of my absolute favorites of the year. It's one of uh, one of my first thoughts when it ended was, boy, I hope Bibbs and Whitney review this. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, kind. It owes Thank a big you. debt to uh, Hirokazu Kurosawa's Afterlife. Oh, that's mm. I love that movie. Um, but it still knocked my socks off, and I'll be thrilled to hear you guys' thoughts on it if you can make the time. Uh, thanks for taking the time to read this, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday season, Jonathan. Yeah, I think we missed this. Interesting. A reclusive, mm. a reclu- the IMDb description is, A reclusive man conducts a series of interviews with human souls for a chance to be born. Mm. That sounds intriguing. It's got Winston Duke and Benedict Wong. and Yeah, that's a good cast. Look at that. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you for the thank you for the heads up there. I was unaware of it. And I'll have to check that out. Okay, um, here is a letter from Jack. Um, it says, "Dear," and then it's just left blank. <laughs> so that's us, uh, dear. Hello, dear. Hi. Uh, this has nothing to do with the rest of my letter, but mm. I would first like to respond to a point that you made on your most rep- recent episode of Critically Acclaimed, uh, namely that you're tired of seeing labs explode in movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I complained that uh, villain supervillains in certain kinds of genre films tend yeah. to have gigantic techno labs full of computer monitors and, yeah. and gadgets and widgets. And they always and, get blown and up. And they always or... blow it up. And I always feel bad that they're not what, salvaging all that about, equipment. What about all their research? And I'm like, yeah, but it was conducted unethically, so I don't know if we can use it. Like, it's, it's a whole can of worms. But we should, I'm curious what they have to say. Uh, labs Exploded Movies. In response, I would like to once again recommend 2005's Sahara. And- <laughs> 
As a nice twist, it is explicitly a plot point at the end of the film that the good guys want to make sure that the evil lab does not explode. (laughs) The bad guy wants to blow up his toxic waste disposal facility in order to bury the evidence of all his evil doing, but the good guys don't want all the toxic waste uh, contained within to be buried underground, which would cause untold environmental disaster. I I saw that around the time, I saw it on home video, like right after it came out. Uh And I remember thinking to myself, this this wasn't that bad. I don't know why everyone hated it. It's like, it's not great, but it's cute. Uh, I don't remember that at all. And that's <laughs> such a subversive twist. We have to prevent this cool thing from happening that everyone in the audience wants to see. It has to blow up. No, no, it can't. <laughs> Yay, we did it. Nothing happened. Uh, after a surprise, the good guys saved the day. A U.S. government official mentions that they were able to save the facility and reappropriate it for less evil means. So no lab oh, explosion, hooray! I, I don't. I doubt that's an exact quote, but I like the idea. We're going to use it for less evil means. Still evil, but a different so, level. Like, like that's the, a nine. We're at a four. We're, we're the U.S. government. So, I mean, we're not going to be totally unevil. Yeah. Uh, um, by the way, I apologize. My neighbors are doing laundry. You can probably hear like a bit of a oh, whirring if you, if you noise. Can hear that thumping. Uh, sorry about that. I can't control that. Right. Moving on. Uh, anyway, on to the rest of my letter, which, uh, in the interest of complete transparency, is actually just a letter I sent some months ago, which I really wanted read, but and I really, really wanted you to read it, so I attached the first bit I just wrote today, because otherwise this letter would have been really short. So, it, Well, it, you got if, us. You gamed the if, system. If, if months go by and we haven't read your letter, it's likely that we just didn't read no, it. We can't yeah. get to every letter. We have no, to no, skip no. We, over a couple. Eventually we have to move on and we have to be a bit topical, but, but yeah, if, uh, if we do re- apologize that happens. And feel free to send letters again. Mm. If it's really important or really timely for some reason, like, please read this this week. It's mm. really important to me. Uh, you can put, like, a, you can send us a note on social media, or you can, like, put, like, a bunch of stars in the title or something <laughs> to get, get, something get Whitney's get attention. Eye, yeah. This is all on Whitney, by the way. Uh, he's in charge of our email, so just poke him. And uh, you can poke me if you need to as well, but you uh, poke him, he'll, he'll take care of it. Uh, but Jack says, with the roaring success of your hit podcast, Cancel Too Soon, ah. you'll probably get asked a lot what your favorite show is that was canceled after one season or less. However, I like to take that question in a bit of a different direction. What is your favorite show, or failing that, the one that caught your attention, that you thought would never in a million years get picked up for a second season, only to be <laughs> shocked when it did? Here are a few of my picks. Uh-huh. Uh, great news. This was an NBC sitcom following the behind-the-scenes antics of a daily news program. It was very obviously inspired by 30 Rock in both tone and characters, and Tina Fey even showed up for a few episodes. And while it never hit as high as that uh, as mm. that show did, I still liked it quite a bit. I don't, mm. I don't know great news. I don't know one either, actually. No. Mm. Uh, Trial and Error, another NBC show. Uh, it's a true crime documentary parody managed uh, to be both very funny and excellent whodunit mystery. It's about a New York City defense attorney who was sent to the very, very small town of East Peck, South Carolina, to defend a man, played by John Lithgow, accused of murdering his wife. While the entire show was hilarious, the standout star for me was Stephen Boyer, who played Dwayne Reed, yes, really, a former police officer <clears throat> helping with the investigation, who's very eager, but so very, very dumb, and so very, very funny. <laughs> for the second season, they actually got <laughs> Kristen frickin' Chenoweth... <laughs> to be the the defendant so you know it's going to be good and the final episode implied that she would probably return for the next season but alas it was not to be incidentally there was a 1988 cbs sitcom also called trial and error mm. it was canceled after three episodes believe it or not but i still haven't seen that one mm. and uh pushing daisies oh yeah uh, i know that's a big hit uh well pushing daisies, it, speaking that, uh, it was, cult, it's beloved. Cult, cult it's uh, beloved. Yeah. I think it's all there. Yeah. Pushing Daisy. Speaking of Kristen Chenoweth, this series about a man who has the power to bring dead people back to life with a single touch and kill them again with another was created by Brian Fuller, who would later go on to create Hannibal, another candidate for this list, given it was an extremely graphic and gory show on network television. Yeah. 
This show is both morbid and incre incredibly quirky. It seems like a series that had a definitive end in mind, although they certainly didn't get to it before it was canceled. And I was really, really curious how they were going to get there. It's a real shame that they weren't able to. I don't know if you or, you or your listeners have seen any of those, uh, or if you have any picks in mind, but I'd love to hear them. Sincerely yours, Jack. There's uh, an, you, you already picked one of mine, actually. I was going to say Hannibal. Mm -hmm. um, Brian Fuller is a really talented storyteller and uh, showrunner, but... I don't know what I don't know if this is because of behind the scenes shit or just shitty luck. Mm. He cannot keep a show on the air. He can't. <laughs> like he he he'll like leave the show after one season and the season show falls apart without him, like American Gods, or it's something like Pushing Daisies, where it's like everyone loves it but it just never finds the right audience. Hannibal got to conclude. What the <laughs> shit just happened? It was only like three seasons, but oh my god. Wow, mm. and it's a weird show. Like you, th I remember when they announced it. Oh, we're doing a TV series about Hannibal Lecter, and you know everyone's like, "Oh, that's a stupid idea. Who could possibly mm. fit the shoes of Anthony Hopkins and this iconic, or, or even Brian Cox?" Mm. <clears throat> and like, how do you do that as like a weekly series? And um, that's how. And it turns out Mads Mikkelsen is actually my favorite Hannibal Lecter now. And um, they made it weird and super queer. And I love all of that. Sometimes the show is really stupid, but it owns oh. it. They know it's oh, really it's... over the top. They, they're not pretending. I've, I've seen the first season of Hannibal. It's frequently really stupid. Yeah, when it, uh, when it works, I, it hate, works beautifully. But when it's Crawford. Hannibal Lecter is fine. Yeah, you hate Jack Crawford, the Lawrence Fishburne's character? Or not Jack Crawford, um, the um, the main character, the the oh um, oh, why am I blanking on this? I know it's, it's that William Peterson, it's Ed Norton, it's uh, Will, Will Graham, Will, Will, Will Graham, Graham. Will Graham. Uh, I, I hated Will Graham. Really? Yeah, because he I love Hugh Dancy. He, he, Hugh Dancy's fine. I don't know why he had to play every scene as if he was about to vomit. Uh, he was just like mm. twitchy and uncomfortable all the time. He didn't have any. Well, because he's damaged, man. Like he's been like in serial killer's head so much. He's mm. worried about becoming one, and then he kind of—that's <laughs> kind of where the show goes. Um, by the end, by the end of the series, there are like headlines in the newspaper about Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter, and the headline is just "Murder Husbands." <laughs> it's just—it should have been called "Murder Husbands." That would have been a great murder time. husbands this year. I love Hannibal. Hannibal is—it's a miracle we got more than one season. It's more than a miracle we got three. Um, I'll tell you a show I don't love, and I actually barely, barely even like it. But I saw the posters, and I saw the pilot, and I heard the premise, and I'm like, there is no goddamn way this is lasting. And then it lasted 100 episodes. Uh, it was Blindspot. Which one was Blindspot? Blindspot stars uh, people I like. Jamie Alexander, who I think is a really, really great leading... Uh, uh, she played Lady Sif in the Thor movies. That's probably what you'd know her from. Um, but... Um, she plays a mysterious woman named Jane Doe who has no memories, but her body is covered in tattoos, which are all clues to future crimes. And I'm like, that's going to get that sounds, so old so fast. That sounds really stupid. That's a really, it's like prison break, but in reverse. Like, it's so weird. And it just felt like, I watched one episode of this, and I'm like, after one episode, I'm not convinced you have a show. Hmm. I think you have a gimmick that's going to run out within a season at yeah. most. And sure enough, it was super duper popular. And I, I didn't, I didn't watch it after the first like half season. So maybe it got better, but like, yeah, I was just shocked that that one lasted. Mm -hmm. I did not see that coming at all. Super duper weird. Um, anything else come to mind? Uh, yeah, I have. Um... 
I was astonished that we had anything to do with uh, um, mm. the good place after a season. Um, oh, really? The, the good well because the good place. Uh, the premise of the good place was it's about. Uh, is it th- uh, four characters? Yeah, for Kristen Bell four, yeah. and um, I forget who played the other ones, but yeah, four, four characters yeah, four die characters, and they end up in the afterlife. They, they die and they're they don't call it heaven; they just call it the good place because it's not based on religion, really. It's yeah, just if you're a good person, you end up in the good place, and if you're a bad person, you yeah. end up in the bad place. But they they know from from the jump that they're not supposed to be in the good place. Uh, no, they, Kristen uh, Bell does. Kristen, all right. Yeah, no, everyone else is, is but these, convinced that they're supposed to be, but like Kristen Bell knows she's a terrible human being. Yeah. And the, the idea is that these four pretty terrible human beings and they're, they're like shallow or uh, just cruel or selfish in various ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all eventually realize that they're getting away with staying in heaven. Yeah, that they sh- they don't belong here, and what are they going to do to stay in heaven? And yeah, you're kind of, you're, you you're tell... misremembering it a little bit, but I'm not. No, well, this is the, this is weeds. this is the first season, and yeah, uh, still misremembering. It's fine. And uh, yeah, their their sort of go to uh, angel is played by Ted Danson. Ted Danson's so good on this show. <laughs> Ted, Ted Danson has the uh, distinction of mm. heading up three gigantic hit sitcoms because uh, he was in Cheers. Cheers. Uh, Are you counting Becker? Yeah, Becker was, Becker Be- ran for a while. It's weird for me because no one ever talked about Becker, but it was one of those shows that was just on forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's on, it's on, I, on the middle of it. I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not he, sure if it was he, really he award-winning, also, he, but he, he was, also was the, his show. He was also the star of CSI for a while. Oh, that's right, that. he was. He took over for William Peterson going back to Will Graham. So, um, yeah. so yeah, he's, he's huge in TV. He's a TV legend, Ted, guy. Yeah, yeah, Ted Danson is a giant. Yeah. And oh, is it Ted Danson's birthday? There's a Twitter account uh, called Is It Ted Danson's Birthday? And uh, every day it pops up in my feed and I go, no, because most of the time it's not Ted Danson's birthday. <laughs> let, me, let me see it, if it's Ted Danson's birthday. But it birthday. is Ted Danson's birthday at least three or four times a year. Three uh, or four. Uh, but at the end of the first season, you could tell they were running out of ideas. And I think they didn't think they were going to come back. So they ended the show with a big twist. Uh, these four people were, you know, torturing themselves so they could stay in heaven, but it was revealed at the end of the first season, wait a minute, this actually isn't heaven. This is actually your hell trying to behave well. And it's actually a big, big old, big old, big old, big old twist. Yeah. yeah. Oh wait, this is actually the bad place. It's a sitcom version of no exit. Yeah. And it's, uh, Ted Danson reveals that he's actually a demon and he's been working for hell this whole time. And a lot of what they've yeah. been doing has been, or they re- retroactively uh, redefine things where I, like, I all just, this is... I just checked Ted Danson B day mm. on Twitter and no, it is not Ted Danson's birthday. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry too. I'm, I'm here for you during this difficult time. I'm going to, I'm going to send out a sad gif. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna type in sad and see what comes up. Just there's put a sad it, Pikachu. That, there's a sad SpongeBob. Find the gif of uh, mm. Kristen Bell saying, "This is the bad place." <laughs> okay, I'll do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, this they learn in, at the end of that first season that they're actually in hell, and I think the showrunners thought that was gonna be it. It's like, okay, that's our oh. big twist. That's our big punchline. Mm-hmm. This has actually been hell this whole time. But then they were renewed. Yeah. They're like, well, shit. What do I do? And not only do they have to rework the entire premise of the show. But they had to find a way to keep this going as the show got more and more popular. So it started turning into this weird theological, philosophical experiment. Mm-hmm. It helps that one of the characters was a philosopher and was familiar with like the philosophies they were dealing Th- with. That's not a coincidence, actually. There was actually a bit of a plan. Like, if the show kept going, they wanted to get into that stuff. Well, and th- talk yeah. about, like, what does it mean to be good? 
Because the whole idea of the good place is that people are held to an unreasonable standard uh-huh. uh, by the dogmatic morals of what is good. Uh, because we develop those that morality when society and living on this planet were incredibly different. And nowadays, everything is so interconnected. Everything is so, every every decision you make has so many ripple effects that can hurt people. Mm-hmm. That the idea of being just good and causing no harm is functionally impossible. Yeah, like you just can't live your you can't live mm-hmm. your life trying to be nothing but good because you will fuck up and it will be a net negative in terms of morality. And so it's all about trying to find a way to live with that and trying to find a way to reconcile the various belief systems that we have that reward or, or punish negative behavior. Mm. I love how the good place evolved over time. I think it got really, I think it got the first season is a wonder. It's like such a great, like it's like a, it's like the sitcom version of the prisoner in a way. And then like, but then it changes and like becomes something different. And I don't think every season works equally well. There's one where they like end up back on earth and it kind of spins its wheels for, for a while. But like, but it's as it's time, really interesting. As it's a really exciting pass, and daring show. As time passes in the show, you, uh, it's revealed that they've actually like been in the afterlife for like many many centuries at some point. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the, that they were able to just sort of keep on rolling with that. Yeah, and, and have to like constantly reinvent the show made for a lot of really creative decisions. There's cool stuff in that show. Yeah, I, that's a good example actually. Right, that's one of those shows that's probably too cool to live. But it ended up being a hit. Yeah, good for them. Yeah. Um, I hope we didn't ruin everything for everyone. But the show's been off the yeah. air for a while. Um, uh, let's move on. We got All a few right, more. Um, here is a letter from RJ. Hello, RJ. Um, this is Best Films About Depression. Oh. Uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, here's a fun fact uh, that's not so fun. I'm very depressed. Uh, it's a lot of us. Uh, so uh, am I. Yeah. So am I. I put on a good face for this show, but mm. I deal with depression a yeah. lot. Mm. So I, I have some semblance of what that's like. I'm not, uh, we're not all the same, but I, yeah. I'm, with, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, yes, I am an unhappy person, and there's a number of reasons for it, but we're here to talk about movies. Okay. Uh, you've both talked about uh, your own mental health issues in the past, so I wanted to ask you, what are the best films you've seen about depression? Uh, that's quite a broad question that doesn't really lend itself to anything specific, so I suppose what I'm really looking for, uh, looking for is feel, films that deal with existentialism, mm. uh, but I'd be curious to hear any examples uh, you have of films that resonated uh, with personally uh, with one of you for one reason or another, mm. just any film that tap into that mindset or state of being. Of course, I'm not asking you to share anything that's too personal or sensitive for mm. you. I hope that it's okay that I've briefly tapped into some of my own issues uh, later on in this letter. A few that I have to offer, uh, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Yep. Uh, I know you I, like that more than I, I, I do, I but re- I know you like really it a lot. I really love that yeah. movie. Um, to be fair, Kaufman probably... Uh, could probably account for a lot of these, but in his film, uh, it's the only film I've ever seen that generally sent me into a full-blown panic attack. Its reflections on fear, loneliness, and sadness and the passage of time were frankly too much for me to handle at the time, and I have no idea what I actually thought of the movie. On a second viewing, it's a really terrific piece of work, and I still find it terrifying in all the right ways. Uh, my favorite film of all time is Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. I've never seen um, that one. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. It has a lead character with whom I resonate with more so than any other fictional character. His self-worth is in the trash, and he walks a careful line of trying to please everyone without having any kind of committed or intimate relationship with anyone. Uh, even his best friend, Earl, who he refers to simply as his business partner. Now, I'm not quite like that. Gratefully, I have family and friends who mean the world to me, but I find the concept of being liked or even loved absolutely mortifying. I don't know how to explain it. It's just bizarre to think of my entire life that I've been generally a well-liked person. 
I also can't stand the thought of people not liking me. So I'm yeah. not sure what the problem is. Perhaps I just don't want to be perceived at all. Mm-hmm. I, that's uh, complicated, yeah. Um, uh, finally, a recent film and TV show that struck a very timely chord with me was Karen Gillan's directorial debut, The Party's Just Beginning. I heard good things, but I haven't okay. seen that, yeah. And the BBC miniseries, Normal People. In a short, short space of time last year, I lost an old friend to suicide and was struggling to adjust to a new life after moving away from my hometown. These two pieces of media spoke to both of these issues in different ways, and it totally floored me. I can't tell you if they were what I needed at the time or if they were the last thing I needed, but I'm grateful they exist. So what recommendations do you have, uh, for any, for films about depression or existentialism? I uh, would love to hear your thoughts. Also, Bibbs, I was looking at your IMDb page and saw that your first credit, you were credited as William Brewster Bibiani. Mm. Is, is that your middle name? It is, actually. Or yeah. were you going through a punky Brewster phase? <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Overall, it makes me and a lot of others happy. You're sincerely, RJ. Yeah, yeah. My, middle, my middle initial is B, and my middle name is Brewster. I was <clears throat> named after a relative I have who uh, never had children, so they named me uh, William Brewster. And... Um, and yeah, that's that's that. Um, I I actually uh, I misfilled out a form. Mm-hmm. I thought they needed my full name. I didn't realize I was writing in my movie credit. Oh, okay. And so I did it. I think I played a corpse in something like that. Where that's from. <laughs> uh, so uh, so yeah, that's weird. But yeah, that's that's a thing. Um, uh, movies about depression are are interesting to me because I I deal with depression almost on a daily basis. Um, pretty much I've been you know, on a daily basis. I guess I have a good day here and there, but um, and I feel like there's a lot of movies that don't get depression, or they're yeah. trying to over overly simplify depre- depression, or make depression seem like it's something that's easy to fix if you just get out and party with your friends or some shit. And it always pisses well, me off because the, depression yeah. is really complicated. It's not like you're always at one note the entire time. There's a lot of variation. There's a lot of well, you can go throughout uh, your whole life and people won't even realize you're depressed. Yeah, but that's uh, mean you're not depressed. There's a tendency in movies about depressed characters that we could recognize as being depressed or, or suffering from depression mm-hmm. that in the course of the film goes kind of undiagnosed. Yeah. Uh, and as such, um, it's difficult to discern in a movie whether or not we're talking about somebody who is, you know, struggling with depression and clinically depressed and somebody who's just in a bad mood that day. And, and it's those difficult things because get conflated we, a lot. Well, it's if, and because it's hard to tell <clears throat> if the filmmaker understands depression. Yeah. yeah Do you uh, understand what they're talking about or are they just kind of throwing things together and that's, that's what they do. Um, uh, they're, there are two filmmakers that I think are very ma- tell masterful stories about depression. And coincidentally, they're both Scandinavian. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one of them is Ingmar Bergman. Yeah. Uh, Bergman understands uh, the mental struggles of what depression is and how it impacts your life uh, and what it means to put on, quote, put on a brave face when really that can also be doing a lot of great damage. Mm-hmm. I recommend his film, Through a Glass Darkly. I recommend Autumn Sonata. I recommend Cries and Whispers. Those are the uh, only three. Well, mo- most of Bergman's films like deal with uh, depression in pretty explicit terms, but those three are, I think, a little bit more specifically about the. Topic. I was just joking because I know you love Bergman. Uh, I, I yeah. well, I mean, I recommend all of Bergman. I haven't, I haven't even seen all of Bergman, but I do have that Criterion box, mm. so I'm looking forward to getting away chipping through, through that. Um, uh, the other filmmaker is Lars von Trier. Mm. Uh, a, a, a bit of, uh, what are the phrase the critics use is, enfant terrible mm. of the film world. That, he just makes uh, provocative, confrontational movies. I decided to make bad uh, films for kids. 
<laughs> Ter- terrible, terrible kids. Terrible movies. infant, yeah. We should, that's what we should call bad kids' movies. All von Trier movies. <laughs> Uh, but I feel like Lars von Trier has said very openly that he suffered from depression. He's also a very provocative, violent filmmaker. So when he makes films about depression, he goes for the provocative, violent route. And I think his film, uh, Antichrist, which is Mm. really one of the more difficult films you will ever watch. And Mm. it has some pretty uh, explicit violence in it. Uh, Just look up what's in the movie before you watch it, because it, it will shock you if it kind of blindsides you. Yeah. Um, but I think he understands what it's like to live in a depressed mind state. This idea of the world being a kind of turning into a black and hollow space and your presence in it being uh, an interruption. Uh, how anything you interact with any uh, just sort of leads you back to your own uh, sense of non-worth. And uh, I think he understands that incredibly well and... Mm. That can be an incredibly dark thing, and it's not a thing that you want to see in a lot. Uh, a lot of audiences want to see, especially not American audiences, mm-hmm. want to see in their entertainments. And uh, luckily, he got some very talented actors who are bold enough to sort of take that trip with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does it go? It goes to it goes to incredible violence and torture. Uh, but I think he actually has some very important things to say about the way we treat each other, the psychological language that we use, and how that can hurt. Yeah. Um, in in the film, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg and Willem Dafoe uh, lost a child. They were they were in the other room having sex yeah. when their child, uh, who's only like four years old, climbed out on the balcony and fell off. And now Charlotte Gainsbourg is dealing with uh, incredible depression, and the Willem Dafoe character is a shrink. And he's made it his job to fix her. And that leads to nothing but misery for both of them. Mm. I mean, they're, they're in a miserable spot to begin with. And if, if that sounds hard, it is. It's a really hard film to watch. But uh, Lars von Trier made... What were the three films in his Depression trilogy? Because there was, was Antichrist, a, there was, was Nymphomaniac, and Melancholia yeah. was the other one. All three of those films really uh, delve into a little bit more of the practical everyday abyss that exists with you when you're living with depression. Good stuff. Um, I, 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 it's, it's very real. I well, think I it's important I, that we make art about this. I, I agree. And I, I, I guess I just, I, I guess I was trying to, um, to, Maybe lighten the mood of smidge. Yeah, I like, suppose so. But you're right. We, we're getting into the weeds. And this is something that I often like shy away from because it's an uncomfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like talking about my depression, but I do. And I think it's important because, um, and I'm not forcing it. I'm not saying everyone needs to. If it's, you're uncomfortable with it, you're uncomfortable with it. But growing up, we didn't, people around me and people in the media didn't talk very openly about mental health issues. Certainly not serious mental health issues. And mm-hmm. if there was... It was usually like on the extreme end of people who are like really a danger to themselves and others mm-hmm. and not stuff about like, hey, general anxiety disorder. Turns out you've got it. And I'm like, cool, thanks. <laughs> that would have been really useful to know 20 years ago. Um, but uh, there's a lot of movies that I feel handled depression really quite nicely. Um, and sometimes they're really difficult movies to sit through. But I watch them and I feel seen. And I feel like that's something that is really, really rare because there aren't a lot of movies where I feel seen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I don't know why. I, I maybe I don't identify with myself the way movies think I should identify. Like you're you're a, you're a male aged twenty to forty. Mm. You should you should totally identify with Chris Pratt. Mm. No, <laughs> I don't have anything in common with the guy. Yeah, well, um, and that that's been I think yeah that might be a more common issue than we're really what willing yeah. to face. This idea yeah. that movies are presenting kind of. A, a status quo American. Yeah, the idea that there's really, a baseline yeah. existence, and no, it's not. And, and the and idea, especially when Hollywood keeps uh, telling you it's. I mean, not not to pick on the guy, but Chris Pratt. Like it's basically <laughs> just like, hey, you're 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 the Lego Movie and the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? You're like that's like what you're into, and like that's who you are. I'm like, no, <laughs> I also like '70s music, but like I don't know if I'd go anything beyond that. Like, but I, I digress. The um. A movie that made me feel incredibly seen, and it's much darker than I—I I, I guess I've been borderline this dark, but it's—it's it's a really bleak movie. Um, is uh, called Christine. It's a movie I've mm. talked about a lot. It got tragically overlooked uh, at like award season when like it really could have like. Again, award season isn't like a measure of value, but it does boost the visibility of art house movies that might otherwise struggle to find an audience. Um, and it's from a film by Antonio Campos, and it stars Rebecca Hall as a real life TV reporter named Christine Chubbuck, who, um, and, and this is real and very upsetting and, you know, mm. content warning, whatever, but um, they ended their own life live on television. And it's a film that's about what led them there. Mm. And. It's not exploitative at all, thank goodness. Rebecca Hall gives one of the best performances of the last decade here. And it's a film about how depression tricks you into thinking it's logical. Yeah. That's the that's the trick with depression, is that it, you, you don't think to yourself, oh, I'm depressed. This is an aberration. I should feel great today. It's like, I'm depressed. I think to myself when I'm depressed mm. because that's the way the world works or this is what I deserve. Yeah. And that's one of the few films that truly understands just how logical depression feels. And I think they present it dramatically in a way that even if you don't have clinical depression, I think you would get it yeah. if you yeah. watch that movie. So I highly recommend that movie to everybody, even though mm. really difficult subject matter, definitely not for everybody, but if you can handle it, it's a brilliant motion picture. Here, here, here's a little trick. This is just a practical trick that's, yeah. that's helped me, uh, because th this is sort of the way depression seems to function. I don't think of it as... And we're not psychologists, it, it, by no, the way. No, no, but, uh, you know, I don't I'm, think I'm in therapy, as, but that's not the same thing. As, a, like, a, a, a permanent emotional state, nor do I think of it as a mood. Mm. Uh, I just, I started referring to my depression as the invader, yeah. and uh, and that's it's a good way to, to sort of think about it. It's this, yeah. this it, it's like venom. It's that black oil in you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, and, it's something that doesn't want well for you. Yeah. It's not, it's not helping you. Sometimes we think mm. that the stuff that is hurting us mentally is helping us in some way, mm. but... It, whether it's maladaptive behavior or just an intrusive thought, it's not necessarily doing mm. that, and it's difficult to acknowledge that. A few other films I just want before we move on. Uh, I just want to recommend a few more films. Um, there's a really excellent film that kind of flew under the radar with Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig called The Skeleton Twins. Oh, I didn't That's, see The Skeleton. It's a really, really sweet film, but also a very sad film about uh, siblings, and I think one of their parents killed themselves. I can't remember which one, and they've been sort of living under that shadow their whole lives, mm. and they both suspect that that's how they're going to go out, and it's just about them trying to get through their lives, and maybe the the story will go there, and I won't ruin it. But it's it's a it's a very kind and understanding film that's also, of course, very very bleak. Um, you talked about existential films, which isn't necessarily what we've been talking about. Mm. There's a great film that I think at, when it came out, everyone called it one of the best things ever, and I think 
it doesn't get brought up enough anymore. But uh, the Truman Show. Oh, there you go. <laughs> is, is maybe the most literal existential crisis movie Uh-oh. ever produced. Uh, if you if you missed it, or if, you know, it's it's an old movie now, I guess. But uh, Jim Carrey plays a guy who doesn't know that from birth, like since he was a baby, his entire life has been a TV show. Everything mm-hmm. has been ni- manipulated around him in order to basically trick him into staying on the soundstage, mm. and it. When you feel like, oh, the whole world's keeping me down and preventing me from pursuing my dreams, uh, in that case, it's very literal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's very, very inspiring. It's very, very cynical. Um, and it's a really, really great literalized metaphor. Um, it's a Wonderful Life is a movie about depression. I don't think we talk about that enough. Mm. It's about seasonal depression in particular. But by the, the movie opens with James Stewart um, ready to throw himself off of a bridge. And then we see uh, uh, how he got here from childhood. Mm. And we realize that although he's a very sweet man and a very kind man and he's done a lot of wonderful things for his friends and his community, his entire life he has been selling himself short. And he has not been pursuing what he ever really wanted to do except for like the one time when he like refused not to, he refused to let the woman he loved marry someone else. Like like, the one time he really stuck up for himself. But, like, the vast majority of his life has been keeping himself down because it was for the better of people around him. And on one hand, that's kind of noble, but one Christmas it finally comes to a head and he realizes just how unhappy he's always Mm -hmm. been and how there's no future for him. And that's a heavy movie and it's a movie about an intervention. It's it's really good. It's a movie about <laughs> it's, it's so good. A, it's a movie about uh, about an intervention to prevent someone from killing themselves, yeah. and it's an excellent movie about that. And mm-hmm. I I think it holds up really really great. Um, and there's some some people know. call it corny because his intervention is literally divine uh, in in that movie. Not yeah. not the actress, although that would have been great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, I'm, I'm sitting on the bridge. I'm feeling really sad. Don't do that, honey. Yeah, no. And, and people, <laughs> Put on some cha cha heels. People who care about him pray. Mm. So please help George Bailey. He's having mm-hmm. such a hard time, and then so many people pray that like the heavens have to send down an angel. Like, okay, people like this George Bailey guy, <laughs> <laughs> so they send down an angel. But uh, I, I understand that might strike people as like a bit corny. Well, again, but again, it's, and, uh, it's like the Truman Show. We're literalizing yeah, something. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're we're um, taking something and. Oh, well, this case, we're taking something literal and making it into a metaphor. But whatever, it works. I think it's great. And one more recent. But, uh, it's hard. No, I was just going to say. Uh, it, it, I was just going to agree with your point that it, it's, mm. it might seem corny, but it does work. That's, yeah, that's and it's, what it's I was going to say. And it's a very dark film, but it earns its happy endings, mm. and I think that's great. And then a film that came out just this last year that is really, really excellent, and it's about the depression that's stemmed from the COVID, basically, mm. and being forced to quarantine and the weird isolation, and all of a sudden, living online went from being a thing we choose to do to being the only option for interconnectivity people have and the idea of you want to affect the world but you also need to accept your own culpability for why it is fucked and it's about falling down a rabbit hole and not knowing where you're going to end up and that's Bo Burnham inside that that's great which is a very very good like one it's it's technically a comedy special but it's also kind of a one-man movie mm. um and you know he's he's got a white privileged perspective he acknowledges that in the net in the ter- in the neck in the next in the text ne- in the text slash narrative um but um i think it's i do think it's it's at least emotionally earnest uh and i do recommend it mm. um the odd note to end the episode on, but let's just end it there. Um, thank you everybody for listening to We've right. Got Mail. We really appreciate you. Um, we're we're probably going to take a short break on the holidays, so critically reclaimed might get bumped. Uh, but you know, well, Christmas but, is over the weekend, but, and but we are going to talk about. <laughs> 
<laughs> we can tell them what the winner is. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the next Critically Reclaimed, we're going to be doing the absolute... Whitney has never seen it. I'm so excited. Uh, the absolute banger cult classic Maniac Cop. <laughs> it's a, it's cool. Bruce, I can't wait for Whitney to see this. Bruce Campbell and Robert Zadar. It's a William Lustig joint. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why this has escaped my attention. It's I'm, just... There's always I've, something, I've right? seen Maniac Cop 2, but I've never <laughs> seen Maniac Cop. <laughs> Anyway, weird. Um, so we're going to be doing that next Critically Reclaimed. That'll almost certainly get bumped to next week because we want to take a few days off and be with our families. Whether you're celebrating the holidays or hopefully you're just getting some time off for, for New Year's, um, we hope you have a wonderful uh, uh, next few days, end of the month. We do have some Patreon-exclusive stuff that's coming up. Head over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we've still got more reviews of Star Trek and Batman. We're doing those every single week. We've got commentary tracks. We're doing a commentary track uh, for the uh, British miniseries series Hogfather based on a Terry Pratchett Discworld novel. Mm-hmm. It's really neat. Uh, and whether you whether you download the commentary track of, through our Patreon or whether you just watch it, it's currently available on Tubi for free. Um, we enjoy that one. People don't talk about it enough. And it's really, really fun <laughs> for the holidays. Uh, we have more stuff coming over there as well. So thank you to all of our patrons for keeping our show going. Thank you everybody who wrote in. Uh, thank you for all these Christmas cards. It's really, really kind of you. Um, and... Um, yeah, don't forget, you can always email us uh, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box again? Uh, critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. That's right. And of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, if it's, it's, it might be... Might be cutting it close to get anything by Christmas time, but the soap store for Etsy is still going, obviously. we're not That's not going anywhere. I'll tell you uh, what, even if... Mm-hmm. You don't get it by Christmas. Mm-hmm. You still get the soap. The soaps are still really great. <laughs> We're making some really wonderful soaps um, right now. Uh, and, of course, the new soaps drop the first Saturday of every month. But uh, we, we still have quite a few holiday soaps left available. We got some peppermint bark uh, soap that I made is uh, still available. Uh, you head on over to Salt Cat Soap, all one word. Uh, and that is on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Salt Cat Soap. And you head on over to Etsy, look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. You're going to find a lot of soaps designed mostly by my partner, M. Lampas da Silva, the author of Hooker, which you should also check out. Um, and I've designed a few as well. Uh, and we would love to have you. The reviews have been really, really positive. And thank you so much to everybody who has ordered through the store. It means the world to us. And if you're looking for something uh, festive as well, Whitney has a new radio drama about about Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> well, it's not explicitly about Frosty. It's about the woman who is stalking Frosty in her car. Okay, it's peripherally, about, peripherally Frosty. about Frosty the Snowman. That should have been the title. Peripherally about peripherally well, about Frosty. The, the title is She Began to Dance Around and uh, it's, yeah, it's about a one woman one show uh, starring an incredibly talented friend of mine named Chelsea. Chelsea Spirito, and uh, she acts the hell out of it. She's really, really wonderful, and it's a, a little completely stupid, twisted piece of work that I hope you will find amusing. But uh, it's good to listen to with the family on Christmas, uh, just with no young children, because it's also incredibly profane. There's <laughs> <laughs> some dirty words. Um, anyway, thank you very, very much once again, and uh, sincerely... You're... Wait, wait, P.S., P.S., hang on. <laughs> So we recorded the entire episode, and then I went to the mailbox, and it turns a- out... After we did our letters episode, you went to the mailbox. What? It was what? I, when I, went into, I went to the mailbox, and we got like some really nice stuff for some people, and I wanted to say thank you before the, the thing came out. So hmm. uh, real, real fast, uh, we got... Um, hand, me, hand me the book. 
here, I want to talk here, about this book. This book is amazing. Book. Here you go. It's this is rather, so thick. Rather large 50th anniversary edition. Someone sent us the 50th anniversary edition of a treasury of great recipes. And this is, oh, you can just hear the paper. It's so nice. <laughs> By Mary and Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Vincent Price wrote a cookbook. Yes. That's it. It's huge. It's gigantic. And, and it's does it have so the, pretty. Does it have the photos in it? Is the uh, hold on. I'm looking at it. It's the paper. It's gorgeous here. Yeah. Uh, a few. There's some photos. Okay. Yeah. It's it's quite nice. There's some really uh, uh, yeah. awful and unbelievably garish photographs <laughs> of, of Vincent Price looking at food. In that yeah, one. So, I, so right here it says, for bibs, because I think all of us really want to see a cooking blog with you and Michelle cooking these recipes from Joshua. <laughs> Thank you, Joshua. I don't know if we can go that far, but I treasure this. Okay, this is um, such a nice addition, and I will definitely be making at least some of these recipes. Open it to a random page. Okay, what, and, what and what kind of weird, gross 1963 recipe is... Because that, that's a pretty old book. Yeah. You, you know the 50th anniversary edition, and this even is actually, that one's pretty old. I actually opened it to like a menu. Oh, here we go. Uh, uh, tripe and onions. Hooray! Kedgeree uh, <laughs> of Salmon. A sort of curried, it's called kedgeree of salmon, a sort of curried rice and fish dish that originated, I believe, in Singapore and is still a popular dish in England, as are many of the preparations brought back in the days of the empire. Uh, Also, this one actually sounds like something Michelle would really like, hare soup, H-A-R-E. Oh, okay. Not not weird. Like, well. There's a hair in my soup. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But like literally, yes. See, see, I don't know about, I don't know about the the tripe and onions, but the kedgeree of salmon and the hare soup sound pretty good. So, um, we're, where, where does one, I, I'm not familiar with uh, LA's butcher shop scene, so I actually yeah. don't know where you can get rabbit. You can get rabbit. You, uh, we, I, I haven't, but I haven't looked. We, we so, actually yeah. uh, sometimes have rabbit uh, for the holidays, and you can get it at uh, Bristol Farms if you call ahead. Uh, so, Bristol Farms is a rather swank, actually absurdly expensive uh, uh, upper class grocery store. Mm. Uh, I don't know how far its reach is, but. Um, yeah, yeah, their butcher shop is actually very swank, and you can totally get rabbit to this day. So thank you, Josh, for this. This is a really, really wonderful thing. We also got, and unfortunately, when he handed me the, the DVDs. And uh, the Blu-rays, yeah. we got a Blu-ray box we set got an inc- Severin Films here. Yeah, well, it's not from Severin. It's well, actually I mean, one of made, our listeners. That is made by Severin And Films. I actually, listen, I apologize. I thought I saved, like, the tweet where you mm-hmm. said that you had sent this to us. I don't have the name of the person who sent this to us in front of us. Please, like, email us at... Uh, uh, letters at critically acclaimed.net. We want to give you proper mm-hmm. credit for this because I talked about how this new set from Severin called All the Haunts Be Ours, a compendium of folk horror films with like 12 Blu rays, three CDs. There's like 20 movies on here, some of which I've seen, like uh, V or Lake of the Dead. V, that's V I Y. Yeah, great, great, great early uh, Russian horror movie. Very influential. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, but some of these I haven't seen and I've been wanting to forever, like Eyes of Fire. Uh, like the oh god this is just an incredible set it's really really gorgeous thank you so much for this please email us and let yeah. us know that like put it in the headline that was me uh because we want to give you credit for this, this is so nice of you and we're going to really treasure this set uh but we also had one that i, I opened these without whitney because i was a jerk i also have one that <laughs> that came with a, a letter that said read me first says, yeah, and a package that i, I didn't well, want to open because f- firstly you did also before we get to that package yeah. i wanted to read these right. christmas cards oh that's right i almost, I almost forgot the card yeah uh, it's um this uh it, it comes from uh fab c mm. And it says, uh, wishing you a warm and fuzzy Christmas. Uh, and there's a letter on the inside. Can I read it? Please do. All right. It says, uh, hello. B- May I read it? Let me uh, get a snifter of brandy. <laughs> hello, Bibbs and Whitney. Well, I spent most of 2020 making it my goal to watch all of the AFI list of top 100 movies. This year, I actually watched as many as r- uh, random 90s movies. 
Lots of Julia Roberts movies, erotic thrillers, etc. Nice. The most interesting of these, of the bunch, was Heart and Souls, hmm. starring Robert Downey Jr. That's a Peter Hyams movie. Yeah. I like that one. Um, uh, angels, or souls rather, from the 1950s help present-day Downey become a better person so that they can later be transported into heaven one by one on a cable car from San Francisco. Cool concept, but felt like it could have made for a better miniseries than a movie. Mm. Each episode could have been focused on each soul with a lot more depth. Question. What movie do you think would look better as a TV show or miniseries than as a movie? Fab. And uh, the actual card is uh, Merry Christmas to Bibbs and Whitney. Thank you for all the hours of entertaining shows. Looking forward to another year of your film talk and opinions. Peace and love. Fab. And there's a little drawing of a kitty on it. So Thank I'm, you, I'm guessing a cat also came. Uh, yeah. Uh, also signed this card. That's so nice. Thank you so much. Uh, but what do you think would work better as a TV show? That's an excellent question. And um, I feel like I've said this so many times. Mm. And it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, right. But what would it actually be? Like, what's the actual, like... What's a good answer here? What did you have anything off the top of your head? Um, there are a lot of movies where there's a lot of like ground to cover and a lot mm-hmm. of like mythology to world sort of building, build yeah. the world building nonsense, which probably would work better as a TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these like the young adult novel stuff. Yeah, that came out in the like Harry Potter for one. Um, yeah, that look, if we could make something series. without the imprimatur of of that bigot in charge of everything, mm-hmm. then that would be great. Wow, um, they're gonna get money for it no matter what we yeah, do. Unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, there, there's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, what was the Divergent series? Oh, yeah. It was like, well, what's the one with the adjectives? Uh, di- yeah. Divergent, <laughs> Delegent, <laughs> Detergent, whatever they were called. And, uh, like, that, that has a really bizarre mythology, and there's, mm. like, this... It, was it that series where they had this weird test taking, yeah. going into your like own virtual reality, virtual yeah. reality thing? It's like, that could have... You could have had, like, a couple episodes devoted to the mechanics of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I got and, one. And, and I feel that I, yeah. way about a lot of um, yeah. a lot of the Marvel movies, actually. Uh, well, they're starting to do that they're now, They're starting to they? do that yeah. now, and, and I'm not, I wouldn't watch them anyway. But uh, <laughs> oh, They're actually quite good. I actually like them I'm so I'm sure far. they are, but I, have, I really don't have much interest. But the, the whole idea with, um, I feel like Captain Marvel was given such short shrift. Yeah. Because this whole, like, background, she comes from this other planet, we don't know anything about that planet. Mm-hmm. Or, like, what it's devoted to, other than, like, how it pertains to the main character. It's really indistinct. Yeah. I feel like if they were making a TV show, they could have focused a lot more on, like, her alien society. Yeah. Before she even came to Earth. Yeah, I'm with you. I was actually thinking of another one I'm totally with you, was uh, The Old Guard, uh, with Charlize uh, Theron. Okay, yeah. Which is, a lot of people really like that movie. Mm-hmm. I personally feel this exact same way. I feel like, they bit off a bit more than they could chew in just one movie, mm-hmm. and the whole movie felt really rushed to me. Yeah. And I wish we could have spent a little time getting to know the characters throughout history. I realize we're just describing Highlander the series, but the old guard is already kind of Highlander the movie, so <laughs> I can only be so mad about that. Highlander is also a movie. It just knocks yeah. off the Highlander idea. I think it did, yeah. did it really well. Yeah, it's fun. Um, it's good, but I think it would have been even stronger as, and, a, as a TV series. Uh, you and I have talked about this, uh, that... Uh, John Wick, fine. Don't make more movies about John Wick. The interesting thing about John Wick was the Continental Hotel. Yes. Where all of the assassins go. An anthology series set at the Continental is a great idea. So you make one John Wick film about John Wick, and I feel like his story concluded after the first. And I like the the first 30 minutes of the third John Wick movie. Yeah, that's really cool. Some of the most virtuosic action you'll see in any film ever. All of New York wants to kill one guy. I wish that had been the whole movie, but what are you going to do? It's just like, oh, I'd be exhausted. I was exhausted after 30 minutes of it. Uh, but yeah, make a, a TV series about the mm. Continental Hotel. Don't make it about John Wick. Agreed. That that's a really interesting concept. Keep on going with that. Yeah, you know what? You know what would be a good TV series, and they kept trying. They keep trying to make it a movie, and with the mixed results, Doctor Doolittle. 
Okay, Doctor Doolittle yeah. is a good series. I think if you make this as like each episode is a different animal that he's well, trying to help, right? Or whatever you want to do with it, basically. But the thing is that there's so many different story possibilities, and if you read the books, there's so many different tales that go on. It's not really an epic fantasy that's going to get everyone in the world to go out to see it, mm. but it's a sweet adventure series for kids. And I feel like if you did that with like sort of a you know a modest budget for Netflix or something or mm. or Disney Plus or whatever the fuck you wanted to do it on. Um, it would probably be a lot stronger and maybe build the kind of audience you need to make it worth making a giant movie about. And uh, I, you would have to save the, for like the, the finale of like the third season. Mm-hmm. That's where you put in the farting dragon. The farting dragon the, is, of the, course, you, you yeah. build up to it or like, it, a case, like, or like right at the end of the pilot episode, mm-hmm. you'd be like, and Dr. Doolittle like, yes, it's a good thing we saved that push me, pull you. Now everything's going to be okay. And he looks out over the, over the distant horizon and is here in the distant horizon. <laughs> like oh, we well, you know what oh, that means. Forebode, the farting <laughs> dragon is coming. It, it farts like a, a tuba or something. What it, was, it, it was a. It was a. Uh, was it a bagpipe? It was a bagpipe. That's yeah, right. It farts it, out a bagpipe. <laughs> uh, uh, Thanks, why, movie. Why wasn't that movie a hit? <laughs> Anyway, there's a lot of great answers to this. We'd love to hear everyone else's, so feel free to write in with more. And then let's our, what's our last uh, letter and package here? Yeah, we have a letter. It's, it's taped to the package. So they we, hear a lot of like ripping as I open yeah. this. Let's do it. Uh, and yeah, it's on the envelope in big black letters that says, read this first. Okay. If you're reading uh, this, you are already dead. Uh, it's a card that says, merry vibes only. Nice. Um, uh, Tis the season for smiles. Merry Christmas. And uh, this is a note from Robert on the inside. Dear critically acclaimed, if my calculations are correct... You're reading this first, and you haven't opened the two gifts. Yes. Uh, the two gifts. I guess they're two gifts. Okay. Um, I know you're very excited, but I think it would be more excited if you waited to open it during your next recording if we got mail. But I understand <laughs> if you can't wait. You can decide which ones among yourselves, uh, which ones to open. Thank you all for both you. Do- uh, thank you all You for all you both do. Signed, Robert. Well, we waited to uh, read the letter until uh, yeah. the, the thing as well. So well, you get everything. You get the pack- whole package. There's a package here as well. So I'm going to open Okay, I package. guess there are two things inside well, it, theoretically. Maybe uh, maybe that video box set is something. If so, that, that's incredibly generous, That's by amazing, the way. That's, by the way. That's, that's, that's a the, huge these are, thing. These are yeah. like, people, someone had to find this Vincent oh. Price book. This is not in print. So like, someone, just thank you so much. You really didn't have to do this, but it's so kind. And, oh. and thank oh, everyone who, even if you just sent a card, that was super oh. nice. If you just send us a oh, tweet, are, it was super nice. What do we got here? There are two gifts within. Are they? Oh, okay. Uh, they're oh, each, they're wrapped. Each individually wrapped. Oh, so shoot. There's what one with uh, Jack Skellington heads, uh-huh. and there's one of uh, like children sledding and bunnies. Which oh, I'll, I'll take Jack Skellington. Jack Skellington. Okay. Heads. Here you go. Thank you. Okay, let's do it. Let's, this, right. is, this is fun. Both at once? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right. All right. All right. Oh, it's open. A little Christmas morning on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, uh. okay. Oh, I've never seen this. Okay. <laughs> okay, I don't know what this is. Okay, it's called Next Goal Wins. Okay. So it's a film by Mike Brett and James. Next, it's, so a, it's, 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 a, it's a soccer specific, movie. Yeah. It's a soccer movie, yeah. Right. It's uh, it's about, I guess it's about a match between Samoa and Australia. This is interesting. Um, is it a, a decade a after that humiliating. A, a feature I, film? I, I think it's a feature film. No, wait. <laughs> I, I actually can't tell. No, I think it's a documentary. Okay. I think I don't know. This is so interesting. This is I love it. This is so random. What did you get? Uh, it's also a, a football movie. Oh, cool! Uh, it's called The Arsenal Stadium Mystery, uh, <laughs> starring Leslie Banks, Greta Gint, and uh, Lyanne Linden. Uh, 
big stars. Um, yeah. There's a quote from Leonard Malton. He gave it three stars. Um, the top professional soccer team, Arsenal, is about to play the Trojans, the premier amateur team of England. However, Doyce, the Trojan star player, is nowhere to be found. Five minutes before the end of the first half, he arrives, but then collapses and dies. The police inspector arrives to find that Doyce has been poisoned. As the investigation continues, it becomes clear that many of the players had motives for killing Doyce, and that he mm. himself was far from innocent. It's a murder mystery. Oh my god. Set during a football match. And just to confirm, just because <laughs> it's a little dim and I couldn't quite read the back very easily, uh-huh. Next Goal Wind is a documentary. Okay. So can I see yours? I'm just, I'm just, oh, yeah, it sure, looks yeah, really yeah. neat. Oh my god. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. I think we just had to both watch these. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. I'll, I'll read. This is a 2014 film, Next okay. Goal Wins. Oh, you can uh, read it. Great. Uh, yeah, That's it was, awesome. It's from Tribeca. It says, in 2001, the tiny Pacific island of American Samoa suffered a world record 31 to 0 defeat. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What? <laughs> That's astounding. At the hands of Australia, garnering headlines across the world as the worst soccer team on the planet. Oh a decade after that humiliating night, they remained rooted in the bottom of... F- uh, FIFA's world rankings having FIFA. Sc- FIFA, sorry, world rankings having scored only twice in 17 years. Wow! They've lost every competitive game they have ever played. It would take a miracle maker or a madman to turn the team's fortunes around. And in Maverick Dutch, coach Thomas Rongen, the Islanders somehow find both. Uh, with the team about to embark on a grueling World Cup qualification campaign, Rongen has just one month to transform this ragtag. A ragtag of losers into a winning team, and perhaps learn a little about himself along the way. And that's a documentary. Uh, that sounds like a, that sounds like a perfectly scripted Disney movie. Yeah, yeah. That's not, wow. That sounds really interesting. And I'm not. That's not usually what I gravitate towards. Yeah, this, lo- this looks like a documentary film, but yeah, um, yeah. I think it is a documentary film, yeah. but it's, it sounds like a Take like the, a the losingest team and try to turn them into winners. It yeah. sounds like a, like a awards based. So we, sports we have, that's uh, so exciting. So uh, thank you, uh, thank Ro- you, Robert, that, for so these cool. uh, wonderful, uh, wonderfully, incredibly English gifts. Love uh, it. I and, can't wait to check these out. And we have, uh, we have, uh, well, I have a, a region free player, so no matter where are these, this are comes these re- from, I think they're fine though. Yeah, these might be region one. Oh, this, this is region one. This is region one. So we yeah, we're fine. We can play these in the United yeah, yeah. States on any player. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much. This is so wonderful, and thank you everybody. Um, and we hope you're enjoying all your all our podcasts and everything like that. We hope we deserve this stuff. It's yeah, so this, nice. This, this is far too. This generous. is so nice you, of you. And if, if, if we have some beautiful cards here. Thank you so much. Yeah. And again, no one was obligated to send us anything. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Uh, and we're, we, but it just it, it was very very kind that some people put in the effort. So thank you so much to everybody. Uh, and um, we seriously have a happy holidays. Have a happy Hogs Watch. Happy have, have a happy everything. You're all wonderful people. And um, yeah, we'll 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 probably take a couple days off for Christmas. But uh, we will we will see you again real real soon. And uh, you're not you're not getting rid of us. We're gonna keep making podcasts <laughs> forever. Yeah. So take care, everybody. Bye. <laughs>